Chapter Thirteen of the Mark and More Mystery by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. William Peggy. The detective instinct, which was Blick's second nature, rose strong and eager when he heard this announcement. He too glanced at Grimsdale in a knowing fashion. Something to tell, he suggested. Didn't say as much to me, answered the landlord, but I should say so. Came hanging round our side door till he got a sight of me and then asked if you were in and if he could see you all to yourself. Didn't want anybody else to know. Bring him in and tell him nobody will know anything whatever about it, commanded Blick. Strictly private, huh? Grimsdale glanced at the window and crossing over to it, drew its curtains. He left the room to return a minute later with a young man in whipcord clothes and smart Newmarket gaiters, a shrewd-eyed, keen-faced fellow who regarded the detective pretty much as he might have regarded a slippery fox just breaking cover. "'William Peggy, Mr. Blick,' said Grimsdale, Blick nodded affably to his shy and watchful visitor, and pointed to a chair close by his own by the cheery fire. "'Good evening, Peggy,' he said. "'Sit down. Will you have a drink?' Peggy slid into the easy chair, put his hat on the ground, and grinned sheepishly. "'Well, thank you, sir,' he answered. "'Don't mind a drop of ale.' Blick looked at Grimsdale, who went out, and returned with a frothing tankard, which he set down at the groom's elbow. "'See that we're not disturbed, Grimsdale,' said Blick. "'If anybody, never mind who it is, wants me, say I'm engaged.' The landlord withdrew and closed the door, and Blick pushed his tobacco pouch over to his visitor, who was fingering his pipe. "'Try a bit of that,' he said hospitably, and light up. "'Well?' You want to have a talk with me, Peggy? What is it? Before Peggy replied to this direct invitation, he filled and lighted his pipe, got it fairly going, and lifted the tankard of ale to his lips, murmured an expression of his best respect to his entertainer. Then, with a look round his surroundings, indicative of a desire for strict privacy, he gave Blick a shrewd glance. I shouldn't like to get into trouble, he remarked. Just so, agreed Blick. You won't. Through anything you say to me. Nor yet to anybody else in trouble, continued Peggy. That is, unless so be as they're deserving of it. Exactly, unless they're deserving of it, said Blick. In that case, you wouldn't mind. Don't mind telling what I know to be true, replied Peggy. He looked the detective well over again. I suppose, he went on, I suppose that if I tell you something, I should have to tell it again, as a witness-like? All depends upon what it is, Peggy, answered Blick. You might, if it's very important, or you mightn't, if it's merely something that you want to tell me between ourselves. Anyway, whatever it is, you'll come to no harm, so long as you speak the plain truth. Them witnesses now, suggested Peggy, before crowners and magistrates and judges at the Zizis. Are they protected? 
Nobody can't do nothing at them for telling what they know, huh? Strictly protected in every way, said Blick, with emphatic decision. Bad job for anybody who interfered with a witness, Peggy. Make yourself comfortable on that point, my lad. Peggy nodded, took another mouthful of ale, and seemed to make up his mind. Well, I do know something, he said suddenly. I was half in a mind to tell it this morning, up there at the inquest. You were there? asked Blick. Most of the time, assented Peggy. I heard all that Grimsdale said, anyhow. It was along of what he said that I thought of coming forward, you see. But I didn't exactly know what to do, and so, when I hear him talk about an adjournment, I thought I'd put it off and think matters over. However, when I hear you were stopping here to look after things, I thought I'd mention it to you, like. Quite right, Peggy. Much obliged to you, said Blick. Make yourself easy. And now, what is it? Peggy removed his pipe from his lips and leaned a little nearer to his listener. Well, he said, it's like this here. You'd hear what Grimsdale said about Mr. Guy Markenmore coming to this house the night before he was murdered and being in company with two other gentlemen. Of course, responded Blick. I heard it. One of them, continued Peggy, a tall man, tall as Mr. Harborough. So, Grimsdale said, from what he see of him, as they was going away. Yes, I remember, said Blick. Well, I'll tell you something, Peggy went on, showing signs of rising interest in his own story. Grimsdale would tell you that I'm groom at Mrs. Teethero's. We've a coachman and two grooms there. I'm head groom. Our mistress has five horses at present, a couple of hunters, two carriage horses, and a very good cob. Now on Monday afternoon, this here cob, ain't common sort of an animal for Mrs. Teethro, she give a hundred and forty guineas for him only a month since, took ill, colic or something of that sort, and I had to fetch the veterinary surgeon to him. The vet, he was at our place for an hour or two that evening, a doctoring of him and he sort of pulled him round, but says he to our coachman and the rest of us, one of you chaps, he says, will have to sit up with this cob all night and look well after him. So I offered to do that. The other two is married men, and lives in the village here, me being a single man, I lives over the stables, do you see? I see, said Blick, you are on the spot. On the spot, so to speak, agreed Peggy. Well, the vet, he leaves us some medicine, and he tells me what to do all through the night with this here cob. And so, when it gets late, and all the rest of them have gone, I gets my supper in the servants' hall, and takes a bit of something to eat during the night, and settles down as comfortable as I could in the saddle room, next to the loose box, where we had this poorly cob. He went on all right, that cob did, hadn't no trouble with he at all. And he's right now, quite fit again. However, that's neither here nor there, in a way of speaking. What I mention the cob for is to show you how I come to be up all that Monday night, do you see? I understand, said Blick. It's all clear, Peggy. Go ahead. Well, continued Peggy, there's nothing happens till about a quarter to two in the morning. I know it was that. 
because I had to keep looking at the cob every so often from the time the vet left him, and that was one of the times. I had just been into his loose box and come out when I remembered that I had no tobacco left in my pouch, but I had plenty in a tin in my bedroom, so I went off to fetch it. Now then, you must understand that our stabling at the dower house is separated from the drive by a high hedge of macrocarpus trees, shrubberies, do you see? I was going along this hedge side, between it and the coach house wall, on my way to the stairs that leads up to my bedroom, when I hear somebody coming down the drive the other side of the hedge, soft-like, so I stops dead. Wait a minute, interrupt Blick. What were you walking on yourself, Peggy? What sort of a pavement or path? Asphalt laid down recent, answered Peggy promptly. Runs all along the front of our stabling. Put down when Mrs. Teethrow came and had things smartened up. And what had you on your feet? What sort of shoes? Pair old tennis shoes that the housekeeper had given me, replied Peggy. Some gentleman had left them behind him. Very well, said Blick. Go on. You stopped dead. Stopped just where I was, stole in between the bushes and looked into the drive. Then I see a man coming down it from the side of the house, where there's a door by which you can get out into the back gardens. He come right past me, walking on the grass path at the side of the gravel roadway. You saw him clearly. Considering it was night, a clear night, though, I see him as clearly as what I see you, that is, with a bit of difference like. You saw him clearly enough to know who he was? I did. Well, asked Blick, eyeing his informant closely, who was he? Peggy looked with equal closeness at his questioner. That German gentleman that's staying with our missus, he answered. Baron von Eckerstein? That's him, the Baron, we calls him. You're absolutely certain of this, Peggy? Take my dying oath of it, asserted Peggy. Blick refilled and lighted his pipe and smoked in silence for a minute or two. Well, he said at last, where did he go? Went a few yards down the drive and then turned into a path that goes through the shrubberies towards the main road, replied Peggy. It comes out into the main road very nearly opposite the cottages, just beyond this place, the scepter. There's a little iron swing gate in the holly hedge. You'll maybe have noticed it. He comes on to the road through that, about two hundred yards from here. And you say that was about a quarter to two, Tuesday morning? At all about that, affirmed Peggy. It would be about six or eight minutes, too, when I see him. "'Twas a quarter to, anyway, when I see the cob, and I wasn't in his box many minutes. Then I went straight to get my tobacco tin and heard these footsteps. "'I suppose you thought it was a queer thing, a guest going out of the house at that time of night, didn't you?' suggested Blick. "'Uncommon queer, I thought,' agreed Peggy, but then twasn't any concern of mine, and I shouldn't have taken much more notice of it if I hadn't seen him again. Oh, said Blick. Ah, you did see him again, then? I did, and when it was getting light, too, see him clear enough that time. 
And what time was that? We've a clock over our stable, said Peggy. It had just struck four. Four o'clock, repeated Blick meditatively. Hmm. And where did you see him at four o'clock? Same place. No, replied Peggy. Just before four o'clock, I began to feel as if I could do with a cup of tea. I got a teapot with some tea in it, but of course I wanted boiling water. Now, we've a gas stove in a little room at the end of the stables that our coachman uses as a sort of sitting room for himself, you see. So I went off there to light it and boil some water in a kettle. It struck four while I was in there. I had just put on the kettle when I heard it strike four. Now there's a window in that little room as looks out on the back gardens. They run from the back of the dower house to the foot of the park, where it begins to rise towards the downs. There's a thick plantation of pine and larch between the gardens and the park, and I suddenly see this here baron come out of it as if he'd come down from the high ground above. Was he alone? asked Blick. Oh, he was alone, right enough, just as before, replied Peggy. How far away were you from him? Twenty-five or thirty yards. Where did he go that time? Walk down the side of the big holly hedge toward the same door that I reckon he'd come out of. Could he be seen from the house? No, I reckon not, said Peggy. There's a thick belt of trees, beeches, just come into leaf between the house and those gardens. You saw him pass that? So I'm go into it, said Peggy. Once through it, he'd be close to that side door I spoke of. I suppose you know the dower house pretty well, Peggy, asked Blick. Yes, asserted Peggy. I was there before Mrs. Teethero came and took it. Been there off and on, ever since I was a young one. Went there first when I was fourteen. Well, that side door now, what is it? Where does it lead when you get in? Into a lobby that runs along the back of the house. There's a staircase opens from it, a wide staircase that comes out through a double door at the top into the big staircase in the hall. So that anybody coming from the bedrooms could easily get at it? Easy enough, assented Peggy. I suppose there'd be none of the servants about at four o'clock in the morning, inquired Blick after a moment's thought. Peggy opened his mouth in a broad grin. Not likely, he said. Servants getting up bell goes at six o'clock. Catch any of them being up before that? Talking about servants, observed Blick, do you know Mrs. Teethero's maid? Peggy smiled. Daffy Hollywell, he answered. Of course I do. Well, and who is Daffy Hollywell? And what's her proper Christian name? Daphine, said Peggy promptly. Who is she? Why, her father was a bit of a farmer the other side of the Downs, beyond Markenmore Hollow. Dead now he is. There were two of them girls, Daffy and Myra. Daffy went out to India with Mrs. Teethero and come back with her. Myra, I don't know what's become of she. Disappeared like just about that time. Though I recollect now she was going to be married to a chap as lived near them. Jim Roper, Woodman to Sir Anthony. Blick paid little attention to these details. 
He was thinking over the principal points of the groom's information. Now, Peggy, he said a moment later, an important question. Am I the first person to whom you've told this story? You're the very first, replied Peggy promptly. I haven't mentioned it to a soul but you. Didn't ever remark to any of your fellow servants that you'd seen Baron von Eckerstein out at that time of the morning, suggested Blick. No, affirmed Peggy. I'll not deny that I might have done just in a casual way if I hadn't heard of Mr. Guy Markenmore's murder that morning. But I did hear of it very early, earlier than most folks, before either our coachman or the second groom came to the stables. So I said nothing. Who told you of the murder so early? asked Blick. Our village policeman, replied Peggy. I was standing at the end of our east walk when he and Hobbs went up the hillside to the downs. Hobbs had been to fetch him. I should have gone up with them to Markenmore Hollow if I could have left the cob. I just walked along the edge of our grounds, like, to get a bit of fresh air after being all night in the saddle room when the policeman and Hobbs hurried by. And putting one thing to another, I thought I'd hold my tongue, and I have done till now. And at last you thought you'd tell me. Well, you've done right, said Blick. No harm will come to you, Peggy. You're safe enough. Well, I'd a reason to come to you tonight, remarked Peggy, with a sudden shrewd look. I reckoned up that it was best. Yes? Now why? asked Blick. Because this here baron is off tomorrow morning, replied Peggy, leaving. Ah! exclaimed Blick. What time? I've orders to drive him to Selcaster Railway Station to catch the ten eight express to Victoria, said Peggy. We shall leave here at half-past nine. There's a Mrs. Hamilton there at the Dower House, isn't there? asked Blick, a friend of Mrs. Teethero's. Is she leaving too? No, answered Peggy, just him. I'm driving him in the dog-cart, only him. Blick rose from his chair at a sign that their interview was over. Very well, Peggy, he said. Now, then, just remember this. Not a word to any living soul. Just go on, as if everything was ordinary. You'll hear from me. You did right to come, and remember what I say. Keep all to yourself. When the groom had gone, after taking amusing precautions, to make sure that no customer of the scepter saw him leave the detective's sitting room, Blick thought over what he had just heard. There was no doubt in his mind now that Baron von Eckerstein was the second man of the midnight meeting at the scepter. Peggy's story and his own knowledge that von Eckerstein had abstracted the pipe from the solicitor's table at the inquest convinced him of that. But was that sufficient to make one suspect him of murder? Blick thought not, emphatically not. He could scarcely believe it possible that a man would murder another, remain in close proximity to the scene of the murder, and generally act as von Eckerstein seemed to have acted. Yet he might know something, probably did. Whether there was sufficient grounds or not for accusing him of actual guilt or complicity, there were certainly plenty for requesting him to give some account of himself, if such a request were suddenly sprung upon him 
there might be revelations. "'I'll have something out of him,' muttered Blick. "'Something he must know, and he'll have to speak.' With that resolve strong in his mind, he sought Grimsdale, ordered breakfast for 7.30 sharp next morning, and bade the landlord have a cab ready to carry him into Selcaster at 8 o'clock. End of chapter 13